Good morning, I'm Allison Chardonnay, and I'm blessed to have a chance to talk to you about the word on the street, that something new is coming to the Wednesday night children's ministry program. Look, I am so excited about it, adding a few new elements to our already great program. Truth Quest, that's the new name. We'll begin with a cosmic quest, learning about God's great creation. Following that, we will continue with Bible exploration, crafts, and games. During our cosmic quest, we will be teaching the kids things like how vast the universe is and how the universe speaks to us about who God is. He is so great. The creator of the universe created you and knows you by name. We want the kids to know that and experience that. We will also teach them about his creation. Isn't she beautiful? Look at her. God created her feathers and beak and clawed feet. Look at her as a representation of God, his creativity and greatness. Okay, now look at this guy. The same God who created that beautiful chicken created this crazy dude. A creature that depends on its environment to maintain its body temperature can change its temperature based on its surroundings and excretes a poison from its warty skin. Now, the coolest part, you can be a part of this. Would you consider partnering with us and becoming a group leader? Children will begin attending on September 7th and the program will run from 6.30 to 8 p.m. on Wednesday nights. We are excited about beginning this truth quest with our children. Come be a part of this amazing journey. If you're interested in helping or would like more information, please visit the Children's Ministry Check-In Counter in front of the Family Life Center. Thank you so much for your time today. All right, so Wednesday night for kids, new name, Truth Quest, new time. Did you pick up the new time? 6.30, not 7 o'clock. So good news for you as well. If you would like to be a part in serving with TruthQuest, I don't think you have to hold poisonous toads as part of leading that. That was a little bit interesting follow. So we would love for your kids to participate and for you, if you would be willing to share in that, that'd be great. We have on Sunday mornings, rather than TruthQuest, we have, well, do you recognize this? Yes. Parking, we always have on Sunday mornings a parking quest, right? Some of you were in quest of a space this morning. We feel like in recent weeks we've been talking, but no one's been listening. In other words, we for a number of weeks now have been asking for men or women to serve as parking attendants. And thus far, we have a whopping zero people who have replied. And so I just want to say... Come on, folks, this is not that big a deal. This does not require theological training or counselor insight. This involves an orange vest and a wand and helping people find a space once a month. Okay, That's a, it's a once a month commitment. So I'm asking for new folks, not folks who are serving in a weekly setting already. So if you are serving already weekly, Please don't be that person who goes, oh, I can do that too. I want somebody who goes, I'm not actually serving, and I could handle the fashion, might cramp your fashion style, but you could handle the vest, and you could help with the parking. So 
I'm going to ask you go buy our Connect gazebo after the service and say, hey, I can help with that. That would be a great place for me to get started in the ministry. All right. Take your Bibles, if you have one, please, and turn to Hebrews 11, where we are continuing in a series that we are calling By Faith Whatever. We call it By Faith Whatever because as we were very soberly reminded this week at the chapel, you never know what a day will hold. You don't know what will happen tonight. You don't know what will happen tomorrow. You don't know what will happen next week with you, with someone you love, with your family, with our world. We don't know. What we do know is that we are invited as the people of God who trust in him to say, we will by faith trust him whatever. We will have faith in him whatever tonight brings, whatever tomorrow brings, whatever this world brings, we will trust in him. So what do we mean by faith? Scripture says, Hebrews 11:1. 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So by way of review, really two elements involved in faith that are crucial. First of all, faith is an assurance. It's a conviction. There is action involved, but it's in things hoped for, things not seen. Question, because it's seen, does that mean it's, because it's not seen, does that mean it's not real? No, not at all. In fact, faith is the act of assurance and conviction in what God has declared is real. It's just you and I can't see it, or at least see it yet. So, when I emphasize Hebrews 11.1, 1, I want us to remember as we go through this series that faith is not, first of all, a blind step. It is a step. It's active. It's not passive. So it's a step, but it's a step believing that God said is true, is real, really is there. I just can't see it yet. Normally, we wouldn't step into something that we can't see, but we do in this case because we believe that the one who has said it's real is greater than what I can see. So faith is conviction. It's assurance in what we hope for, what we hope for as in what God has declared, even though we can't see it yet. It's not passive. It's active. By faith, Hebrews says, by faith, Abel offered. By faith, Noah prepared. By faith, Abraham went out. By faith, Sarah received ability to conceive. So there is action always connected to biblical faith, which makes a new whatever for Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16 that we're going to look at this morning. Here's what it says. All these died in faith without receiving the promises. So this is a whole new whatever that we have not seen thus far. They died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things, 
make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to do what? To return, to go back. Next word, but. As it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. A lot of words there that sometimes aren't necessarily clear. So let's define some terms in this text. First, in verse 13, it says, and all these died in faith. Well, who are the these? Because that makes a big difference in how we understand this text. And there's actually some debate among Bible scholars of who these are. It seems to me obvious that what they are, what the writer is introducing is not, he's not referring to people he's already talked about, but people he's about to talk about. It says, all these did what? What's it say in verse 13? All these died in faith. And then he goes on to talk about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. I think the these are these for this reason. When he talks about, he's already talked about Abraham. When he talks about Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, what we'll see in a couple weeks, each one of them, their act of faith is in their dying, their moment when they are dying, what they do in that moment. So I think this is an introduction in concept to what we're going to see expressed in Abraham with Isaac, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. So all these died in faith without receiving, it says, the promise. So what's that mean? That the promises made but not received. In other words, when it says they didn't receive the promise, they did get, they were given the promise, right? They were given a promise, and that promise was to each of them, you'll be a great nation of many people and the land that I'm going to give to you. That was made to Abraham, it was made to Isaac, made to Jacob, made to Joseph. Repeatedly. So they had received the promise in the sense that it was spoken to them by God. You with me? So what does it mean then when it says, by faith they died having not received the promise? They had been, they had received it in the sense that it had been given. It had not been fulfilled or realized. It had not been experienced. What had been said would happen didn't happen yet. Because, as Matt showed us a couple weeks ago, the time span between when given and when realized, anybody remember how many years 650 years between when the promise initially given to Abraham and then repeated to Isaac and repeated to Jacob and repeated to Joseph when it was given to them and before it was realized, 650 years passed. During those 650 years, what happened to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph? What's it say? They died. How? What's it say? In faith. They died in faith. In other words, they didn't just spend some of their life believing a promise 
and then see it and go, oh man, God is faithful. I see he fulfilled his promise. They spent their entire life believing a promise and they died before they saw. But they didn't die thinking God is not faithful. They believed even in dying. They died in faith. So what we see is that faith is not this magic potion that makes the invisible immediately visible, which is how we often think about faith. For instance, last week, in light of what we saw with Sarah, at the end of each service in both auditoriums, invited folks who were trusting God, asking God for the impossible, whether that would be the salvation of loved one, to conceive, to be healed. And as an act of faith, folks stood and prayed. What's everybody want to know? Well, what happened, right? What happened? And if the answer is, well, I don't know if anything happened, then it seems like, well, then it didn't work. I thought, I thought if we trusted God, I thought if we had faith, then that which wasn't visible would become visible. And what we have often been thought or, or told is that, ah, nothing happened. You didn't have what? Enough faith. See, I don't have to say that for you. You've thought that. You've been told that. And folks, that is not a biblical understanding of faith. Because the power of faith is not in faith. The power of faith is in the content, the person, the object of our faith. And the object of our faith is, watch, the eternal God. Who we tend to think, Well, what's he going to do in the next 24 hours? But he says, to me, a day is like a thousand years. So we think, well, it didn't happen today. And he went, well, you know, 650 years, that's kind of like today. If you're eternal, right? We wrongly think it's this magic potion. That if it's working, if it's there, then it's going to change things. And sometimes God does work. I did, father came up to me, said, I stood last week, prayed very specifically for my son. Wednesday night, came to my house, handed me an envelope, and it was a letter about his spiritual walk and returning to the Lord. I mean, his heart was rejoicing. But there's a lot of folks who stood and said, didn't happen. Now watch. You took a step of faith in asking and standing. Will your faith endure? Or when faith doesn't work like that magic potion and change things, does your faith falter? Because this ultimately is about, this passage is about 
enduring faith. Faith that lasts the whole way through life into the fact that you would die in faith. Because for all of us, for all of us, we're going to have to learn to live by faith in waiting. You with me? I'm waiting. I'm, I'm trusting you. I, I, I'm not putting God on the, the fast food timer. And may die in faith before seeing. Enduring faith, faith, not, not remember, not more faith, but faith more, faith more each and every day is often very challenging, became very personal to me years ago when a young man named Tommy Ullum, part of our congregation, found cancer, then remission, then came back with a vengeance, early, mid-20s. He was clearly, apart from God's supernatural intervention, going to die in his early to mid-20s. And it actually, by his own admission, it was not death that he was afraid of. It was that his faith would stop before his breath. Sitting at Memorial Hospital, Doug, please pray for me. I don't want my faith to falter before the end. You, you follow? Because all, lots of us, long before the end, can look and we go, we asked God, we trusted him, but we didn't endure. It lasted for a month, for a year, and then we just gave up. What's powerful about Hebrews 11 here, and these all died how? In faith. So they are instructive to us for what it means to have enduring faith. So I'm going to read the text again. You're starting to read, so let me go back. I'm going to read the text again, but we're going to look specifically for this. What is true about them that calls their faith to endure, okay? You with me? You're going to read what was true about them. What did they do that caused their faith not to falter, but to endure so that they died in faith, having not realized what God had promised? Here it goes. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, given but not realized, but, now watch, having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For those who say such things make it clear, notice the action, they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to go back, to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. They died in faith and they received 
after dying what they never saw in living. So God was faithful, and they were faithful in living. What were the keys? Well, there's a couple expressions here to keys to enduring faith. First, this expression, they saw and they were welcoming the promises from a distance. You see that? They were welcoming them from a distance, verse 13. That's a great phrase. But what in the world does that mean, to welcome from a distance? Let me give you a picture. If, if Matt Collins here is out in the parking lot and I see him a long way off and I want to see him, what might I do? I might wave to him, right? You wave and invite him to come over. He's, a far, he's far off, so you do something that will get his attention far off and then Bring him by. If, if I don't want to talk to Matt, what do I do? You've done this at Walmart, at the grocery store. You've, seen, you've been pushing your eye and you've seen somebody, oh, I don't want to talk to them. <laughs> you got to another, you didn't look at them, you thought. And they may have gone like that, and you're like, mm. Because this, this welcoming from a distance is saying, I, I recognize you're there. I acknowledge you're really there. It's, it's a recognition, welcoming from a distance. But, so if Matt comes up, come on, come on up here real quick, Matt. He's not, doesn't know what's about to happen, so he might be a little nervous. He brought his Bible as protection. <laughs> so if I welcome him from a distance and he comes to me, do I do this then? Yeah. Well, why don't I do that? Because that's annoying. Yes. Because yeah. that's not appropriate. That's what I do when he's, when he's up close. What do I do? I don't give him a hug. <laughs> We're not that close. I, yeah, hey, I, I shake his hand. Right? Because now if I give him a hug, it's like this. It's, you know, one, two, we're done. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's the way guys hug. One, two, we're done. But there's some difference when I welcome from a distance and when I personal welcome up front, right? You with me? That's good enough. Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, see you later. <laughs> if he's a long way away, I don't do this. I don't do the distance handshake because that's up close. Now, don't misunderstand. We're welcoming from a distance. If... I'm trying to give you a picture. What they were doing is they were saying, God has made promises, but they seem to be far off. And sometimes because they're far off, they seem irrelevant. But I'm acknowledging that promises of God that may seem far off to you who are 22 or 25 or 35 actually may be exceedingly important to you. So they, they were a long way off, but they acknowledged them. More personal. A number maybe eight years ago, uh, my son Clayton, who's in the service, he started heading off to college. And so in the last eight years, we've had lots of 
goodbyes, says, see you later, they go off to college, come back and go, leave again. So we've gotten used to the goodbyes. But very different, a few years back after he had moved to Rochester, New York, we're driving him to the airport and there's just kind of this pit in my stomach and into the ache, but can't figure out why. And, uh, but it's very obvious. Till I get to the airport, uh, you know, you've done this. I'm driving, so I jump out. He jumps out his side, open the trunk, grab his bag, give him a hug, not a handshake. I hug my son, you know, pat, pat. And, and then what? Normally we would say, see you in June, see you in December. And I finally was able to identify why the doll, because we were going, I don't know when we're going to see each other again. Nothing's planned. And I don't mean by an exact date. I mean, there's been no next relational moment identified. And it was a horrible drive away from the airport. So much so that we said, let's try and never do that again. So like when Clayton Roxanne came down for Thanksgiving this past year, we could say when we drove him back to the airport, hey, we'll come your way this summer. Not an exact date, but we have a plan. There's a promise. We'll come your way. Watch. Has God promised to his people a future event that we can look forward to. See, and that makes a difference, folks. It really does. Practical, to use the illustration, when we hit Christmas last year, Jackie would go, I just can't stand it that Clayton and Roxanne aren't here. We, we don't, it just doesn't feel right. And you know what we'd say to one another? Well, what I would say to her, we'll see him this summer. Th- that's hope in the midst of, we don't know, we don't have anything scheduled. There's nothing to look forward to. Listen, there are promises of God that you and I need to know that when life is hard and when fear sets in and worry sets in and hopelessness sets in, that we know that there are promises that they may seem afar off, but we are acknowledging they are there and their presence makes a difference to our now. So if you and I are going to have enduring faith, there must be, make this connection, there must be a commitment to know and to meditate on God's promises. To, to what he has said is going to happen. Whether it feels up close handshake or whether it's far off. There are promises that make a difference when life is hard. And we should learn to talk to ourselves more. Talk to ourselves about the promises of God. Because when, like I said, when fear sets in or worry sets in, do you know the word of God well enough that you can talk back to your worry, you can talk back to your fear, not with the power of positive thinking, that's junk. 
that you can talk back to your fear and your worry according to the promises that God has made. And you can go, man, life is hard right now, but I see you. I'm looking forward to it. One day it's going to be here. Right now, even though it's way out there, it makes a difference. That's enduring faith. Because when you want, to, you want hopelessness to overwhelm you, make that just completely blank out there and there's nothing to welcome even when it's way off. The promise of heaven, the promise of reunion, the promise of being with Christ, that's hope. That's something to anticipate, real, to look forward to. When everything else seems like it's coming apart at the seams. Second, uh, second thought to that is that we are wanting to people that out of sight is not out of mind. This is a phrase we often think about, but think about it. The promises of God, though may be out of sight, they ought to be always in mind. Rehearsing them so that our faith endures. Second expression in the text It says they not only welcomed the promises from a distance, they considered themselves strangers and exiles on the earth. They were, to use that airport expression, uh, they were on layover. You know what I mean by that? Like when... And Jake and I did our anniversary trip. We were on layover on the, on the way and on the way back in Atlanta. Meaning, we were going to be there, but we weren't going to, hopefully, live there. So, yes, we were there, but we would just be passing through. How foolish if 10 days before we trip, we would have rented a big U-Haul, packed our entire home in the U-Haul, driven up to Atlanta, and set it up on Concourse E. Yeah, well, that's stupid. Why is that stupid? Because you're, it's layover. You're going to be there for like two hours. You wouldn't do that. That mentality is why their faith endured. Because they recognized, we're not setting up shop on earth. This is layover. We are passing through. And often, don't miss this, often my faith, your faith, doesn't endure because we lose sight of what home really is and we start setting up home in the airport. We lose a realization that we are passing through. And this is, this is two sides of one coin. It says they consider themselves strangers and exiles on earth. And it also says they were seeking and desiring a country that is better and heavenly. See, these go hand in hand. If, if this world's only layover and you don't have a heavenly better country to look forward to, that's just flat depressing. But if you really capture this, where there is a better heavenly country, then that sets, that sets the layover experience in perspective. You with me?
So what were they seeking? It says a country of their own, better, a heavenly. They were pursuing, seeking the eternal, the city that he had prepared for them. So, again, key to enduring faith number three is that my faith will endure when my pursuit, my GPS is set on the eternal, not on layover. But that can sound too nebulous. So let me make it very, very clear. What does the scripture, when we say pursue the eternal, what does the scripture say will last forever? Two things. Itself, the word of God, and souls of people. So don't get lost. Don't think, oh, this is nebulous. The key to enduring faith is a GPS set on the word of God and the souls of people. That's what drives my life. If that's what's driving my life, my faith will endure because it will take me beyond all the stuff in this life that often gets me distracted from that which will last. What becomes difficult to sort out is this question. So how do I live in layover, pursuing the eternal, recognizing that we got stuff in this world? How do you do that? Have you wrestled with this? How do I have stuff but not love stuff? How do I be in this world on layover but not of it? How do I live in time and space while pursuing the eternal? Have you, have you not wrestled with that? That is the wrestling of enduring faith. So I, I hope this will help. I think all you have to do is recognize all of your stuff, all of my stuff, my possessions, my money, my body, my minutes, they get to go into one of two buckets. Either a bucket that sees whatever I have as a tool, an instrument for the word of God and the souls of people, or the bucket of idolatry to serve me. Either it's, it's an instrument or it's an idol. We often get lost in the question of, well, how much stuff do you have? As if there's a line that the scripture doesn't give. The question isn't, how much stuff do you have? What's the question? What do you do with it? Do you have an apartment? Is it an, an instrument or an idol? Got a house? Is it an instrument 
or an idol. I know you have a body. (laughs) You do have a body. Is it an instrument or an idol? Does that make sense? An instrument says what? I'm on layover. My faith is going to endure. My faith has to be on, be beyond life. And so, my body is simply an instrument for the word of God and the souls of people. Whatever your gifts are, whatever your resources are, whatever God has made you good at, we, we like to measure, well, how much? Oh, what? What do you do with what you have? Because you can have a little and it be an idol. And you can have a lot and keep it instrument. What are you doing with what God has given you? It will determine whether your faith will endure or not. Because if you turn it into an idol, then your faith won't endure because all you have is here and now. But if it will be an instrument, then every day is really an opportunity to ask, how might I be a part of what God is doing through his word in this world and in the souls of people? Now it's an, oppor- now it's an opportunity. Step back. Okay, step back with me from the text. They had been given promises. You're going to be a great nation, a lot of people, and you're going to have a land. Wow, that's awesome. (laughs) And they went through their whole life, and it never happened. But they died in faith. Why? Because ultimately their faith, Their hope was not on what they would see, but what God said they would see in eternity. We set our mind, Scripture says in Colossians, on things above. We pursue those things. Pursuing eternity, just a pop quiz here. What's that mean? (laughs) The word of God and the souls of people. Investing the word of God, the souls of people. And then there's this fourth statement in the text about them. If they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. So, here's what the picture is. You and I, all began life pointing in, let's say, this direction, pursuing life our way. And there was a moment, if you're a child of God, where God graciously opened your heart to the truth of the gospel, and there was repentance. There was a change of mind. I deserve the wrath of God, but Christ has taken it for me, and I can receive it by grace. There's a change. And now I am living life not for myself and for here and now, but now I am living for the word of God and for the souls of people. But what is there a temptation to do? 
to, to look back to what I left behind. Clear picture of that, right, in Lot's wife in the book of Genesis. To, to the looking back of what was. And looking back, according to the text, look at it, it's right here. Looking back begins where? Yes, in thinking, fixing your, your thoughts, not on things above, not on the word of God and the souls of people, but on what this world has. Thinking about the stuff, not as tools, not as instruments, but as what would have been idols. And lots, I mean, I hate to admit this, but lots of folks look back. Start and then look back. But watch what happens. <laughs> when you start thinking, wondering, imagining, look back. Very few people walk like this. Not very long, not very well. When you start looking back, what do you, start, what do, you do? Generally stop, and maybe you turn back, but at minimum, you stop. Let that be very clear to you about your faith. Faith is not passive. Faith is stepping. When you look back, what happens to faith? <laughs> it stops. It beca- it's absent. It's no longer active. So there must be a discipline of mind to not think in terms that would cause us to look back to the life prior to Christ, the life we would have had outside of Christ. But that happens a lot. That happens a lot to our teenagers. Really sad picture two weeks ago. My second son in, I think, seventh grade in one of the classes here in a group. And I could name student after student in that picture that looked back, not walking with the Lord anymore. Really sobering, sad. But it's not just for teenagers. It's a caution to all of us as adults. If they had been thinking of the country from which they went, they would have had opportunity to return. So, keys to enduring faith. Meditate on God's promises. Identify yourself as on layover. Pursue eternal. What's that mean? The word of God, the souls of people. And don't look back. Any one of those that specifically you think the Lord is speaking to your heart on. Father, thank you for your spirit that dwells within us. And I pray that your spirit would take the truth of the scriptures and apply it individually, personally, so that for each of us, our journey would be one of enduring faith. That your great faithfulness, God, would be revealed through our lives. 
that the hope of heaven, the hope of eternal life with you, would dictate the way we live the days you give us on this planet. To the praise of your glory, I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Listen, if we can pray with you, we would love to do that. Uh, Our prayer room is out the back of the South Auditorium, my left, your right. Uh, If you're in the North Auditorium, it's straight out the back doors across the street. There's people there that would love to to listen and pray with you uh, if you need that. Uh, Thank you again for coming this week. Just want to remind you that next week is Flip Flop Sunday, so make sure you wear your flip flops. Uh, And we're also going to have a big ministry fair out in the courtyard to highlight all the Uh, ministry opportunities that we have here starting this fall. And then we're going to conclude the day at Mickler's Landing at 430 with our beach baptism. So we'll hope you join us. Have a blessed day. His body on the cross.